that truth. Now, we are continuing our series uh, called Good Vibes, where we believe that if we live that proverbs life, putting into action those things that God wants us to do, that his blessing will ultimately follow us. And today, I've got a message entitled, Silence is Golden and Duct Tape is Silver. I wish I coined that, but I didn't. You could probably see it online. Silence is golden, duct tape is silver. If you've got a Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 10. We're going to read three verses from Proverbs chapter 10. And in Proverbs, this is the transition. Uh, chapters 1 through 9 really need to be taught expositionally. But the time you get into chapter 10, it's usually just like a, a nugget of truth in a verse, and then it changes. But in this section, it's all part of the same theme. So Proverbs 10, 18 through 21 addresses the importance of of silence. So let's have a look at this, Proverbs chapter 10. If you haven't got a Bible, it's on the screen. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Let's get to the point, shall we? Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of sense. The common theme here, what we do with the tongue. Now let me just make this straight from the get-go. This passage isn't addressing those of us who talk too much. Okay, some of us are extroverts in certain settings, we'll talk a lot, and then sure, there are people who would say, man, just be quiet, don't you? But it's really not talking about the people who are talkative, who talk too much. The passage is talking about the people who say too much at the wrong time. So the chastisement in these verses are for people who at critical moments speak when they should have held their tongue. Now, this follows the passage of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and then verse 7, which says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be silent and there's a time to speak. One of the hallmarks of the God of the Scriptures is that He is a God who speaks. And yet if you're familiar with the story of the scriptures, you know that there are long periods of time when God seems to be silent. So when the scripture encourages us to learn when to speak and when to be silent, it is actually inviting us to emulate the God of the Bible who knows that there are times to be silent and there are times to speak. In the mid 90s, Vivka and I moved from Germany over to London, and then as we got to the end of the 90s, our family started to expand. So Alicia, our daughter, was born in 1995, and uh, hard to believe in two weeks my little girl will be getting married, but she will, and she's obviously finding out the blessing in Michigan. She lives in Chicago, but she wants to get married in Michigan. So it seems as though little West Michigan gets us hooking everybody, I guess. Um, and we're going to celebrate that in a couple of weeks. It's great. But then we got to like 1988 and uh, Alec was born. So we had Alicia, who was like three, Alec, who was young. And one summer we decided to go to, this is, I think Bibka was pregnant with Jonas at the time. Uh, we decided to go on vacation in France. And so we thought, okay, it's time for Alicia to learn to ride her bike. So we packed her, her bicycle with the training wheels into our car, took it through the tunnel, 
um, train tunnel from Britain. It's an island, if you didn't know that. Over into France. We kind of get out of France, go to the sleepy little French village where my daughter learned to ride a bike. Everything is good. Everything is great. Well, we get back home, and one Sunday afternoon, Alicia said, hey, I'd really like to, Dad, I'd really like to go for riding my bike. I'm thinking, okay, that's cool. So uh, we put Alec in the stroller, and we just kind of went around uh, Alicia on a bike. Everything is going well until we make the final turn into our street when Alicia loses a balance, kind of falls, and her handlebar dent the side of a car. Now, you may think I'm telling you this story because I am thinking about whether it was right for me to speak up or stay silent. No, we needed to speak up. My daughter hit the car. If she did something, she says it. No, the, the, the kind of wrestle, the quandary that Vipka and I were in were, do we tell the, the owner of the car or does she? I looked at Vipka and Vipka nods and it's kind of those telepathic, okay, not a Christian word, but you know what I'm saying, things where I know what she's thinking, she knows what I'm thinking, so I kind of bend down to Alicia like this, and she's like blonde hair, cute blonde hair, blue eyes, and I look at her and I say, honey, you know what, you dented the car. I know that, you know, little tears. And I say, well, that car belongs to that house right there. So this is what I'd like you to do. Mom and I are going to stand here right at the path, and we'd like you to walk up the drive and go and knock on the door and tell them, I'm sorry, you hit this car. She looked at me. Vipka looked at me as like, do we do the right thing? <laughs> and so we stand there as Alicia just walks up, to the, up the drive, knocks on the door. The man opens the door and he sees us before he hears, sees her. And he kind of does the double take. I don't know what she said. Couldn't hear it. But... After she'd finished, the man looked at her, looked at us, and shouted, ah, don't worry, it's a company car, they won't mind at all. And then he ruffled her feathers and said, that little hair, and said, thank you for telling us, and turned her around and walked off. And Alicia comes down the thing, going, this is okay. Um, I'm not sure whether that was kind of like the response I expected, but I was really thankful that my daughter got to experience the, the fact that there are simply some times when you cannot stay silent. There are just some things where you just need to speak up. And when you look at the scriptures, you'll actually see a number of reasons. I put five down here where as believers, as much as we're encouraged to silence, there are times when we simply have to speak up. So for example, we cannot be silent when God needs to be praised. Right? Jesus is on the, going into Jerusalem and the, the people are up in arms because the kids are praising him as if he's some kind of Messiah, which he was, by the way. And they said, silence them, silence them. And do you remember what Jesus said? Hey, if these children stay quiet, even the rocks will cry out. When God needs to be praised, it is okay to let out a shout, a, a yell, to clap, because you cannot stay silent when God needs to be praised. Secondly, we also know from the scriptures, we can't stay silent when sin is unconfessed. We, we confess our sin. Thirdly, we cannot stay silent when others are suffering. We need to speak up. Fourthly, we know that we cannot stay silent when judgment is coming. Now, I wish I had an hour to talk about this, because we all know judgment is coming, right? Right? One day, believer and unbeliever alike, we're going to stand before God and there's a believer's judgment. There is an unbeliever's judgment and we'll all be called to give an account. Judgment is coming. That does not give us the right to speak up all the time, folks. 
But there is time when you look at the scriptures when an imminent judgment is coming as a consequence for sin, somebody pointed out to them, hey, you know judgment is coming, you need to deal with this. When you're in a situation like that where the consequences are coming, you basically need to speak out. And lastly here, we cannot stay silent when there is good news to share. Can't keep good news to yourself. Now, even though the scriptures are pretty clear that we need to speak out in circumstances like this, even when we do speak out, we are cautioned about the way that we do it, why we do it. Paul was in a season where he'd gone from Berea, uh, had trouble in Berea, and then he'd gone over to Corinth. And as he was in Corinth, he, he lived there for a while, and he started to talk to the Jews, and the Jews opposed his message. They reviled him. And we may think that the Apostle Paul is just like this guy who never gets fed up, who never wanted to quit. But in Corinth that time, he did. He wanted to quit. Psalm 16:7 says that when we put our heads down on our pillows at night, in, our, in the night, God gives us counsel. And that's what happened for Paul. And so in Acts 18, this is what we read. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Why did God need to tell him that? Because he was. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I'm with you. And no one is going to attack or harm you. And I love this because I have many people in this city. The literal translation is because many are those that are mine in this city. If you're reformed over here and you know, you believe in that reformed predestination uh, kind of thing, then guess what? You still have the responsibility to uh, share your faith. Why? Because your preaching is the very mechanism that God uses for those that are his to turn to faith. Paul says, that God says to Paul, Paul, I know that you're weary. I know that you're struggling. I know that you're tempted to be silent, to quit, but don't. Because many are those that are mine in this city. And what do we read here? So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God in this city. There are many reasons at times when life does things to us, like it did to Krista, where we just want to be silent and quit. And God says, don't quit. Because of your faithfulness, your obedience, your willingness to be there, to share, many are those that are mine. And so we're encouraged to speak up. Now, when we are encouraged to speak up, we're still warned about the way that we do it. Back to Proverbs, Proverbs 17. I love this. This is the encouragement that we've got. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. So notice this then. The wise are the knowledgeable who use their words with restraint. The wise are those with understanding who are even-tempered. And if you put this together, I think we get an idea of why it is that so many of us are not so good at holding our tongue. 
A number of years ago, Vivka and I led our first trip to the Holy Land with a group of people, and as we were preparing to go to Jerusalem and especially to the temple, our tour guide actually told us, hey, when you get to the temple itself, be prepared. You will be inundated with lots of little children who will be selling on the streets, but restrain yourselves. Do not purchase from these children, because if you do, you are enabling the exploitation of children and we needed to stop so we had knowledge right and that knowledge should result in us restraining what we do the word restraint here used in this verse is the word chazak it basically means to refuse to hand over those with knowledge refuse to hand something over in Jerusalem, we had knowledge and we were told, look, refuse to hand your money over, please. You do not want to participate in the exploitation of children. That sounds easy, right? Until we get to the Temple Mount. And as we're in the, at the Temple Mount there and we're, we're starting to walk through the, the kind of courts, all of, these strict, all of these children come up and talk about cute but not only that, they were disheveled, their clothes, you look at them, you got the feeling that if you didn't actually purchase something, these people wouldn't have anything to eat. We have knowledge, we need to refuse to hand over our money. But the problem was our emotions were being played. Look at this, whoever has understanding is even tempered. Even tempered here is literally cold spirited. Cold disposition, ruach, the word for spirit. The reason it was so difficult for many of our group to keep their money in their pocket and refuse to hand it over is because their emotions were bubbling up on the inside and instead of being cool, they were getting hot because they felt like they just needed to do something. The reason many of us actually struggle to stay silent, to respond in a wise way is because not because we don't have the understanding, the knowledge, we have the knowledge. The problem is that we're not even tempered. We, we allow ourselves to be triggered by something and all of a sudden we go from blue to red and it's just out of the mouth like a volcano. Look at the last part of this, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent. Even fools are wise if they keep silent. So, Part of the challenge here then is, how do we do that? I mean, it sounds so easy, right? Look, we go into certain situations where the wisest thing you can do is to say absolutely nothing. It sounds easy. So why is it that we get drawn into so many conversations that we know it isn't wise for us to have? I'm not the only one to do this, am I? Okay, there's a laugh, so at least one person says, this is my problem too. Why, why do we get drawn into this? As I was thinking about this, I thought about three points. Of course, I would. I'm a preacher, and preachers always have three points. I'm sure there's more than that. You can blame another Brit for that too, Charles Spurgeon. He started to preach with three points, and we've been following him ever since. I think we get drawn in for three reasons. This is the first one. Noise is everywhere. Noise is everywhere. Now, Proverbs 9.13 
pictures foolishness as an unruly, stormy, boisterous, or loud woman. Now, there is a good woman in Proverbs, Proverbs 31. This is just a bad example of it. There are many bad examples of men too, okay? Just to put that out there. What Proverbs is saying here in Proverbs 9 is noise follows these people around. And if you get a group of them in one room all together, it is just overwhelmingly loud. And in an environment like that, it is so tempting to say something. I mean, isn't it hard to be quiet when foolishness abounds? In a moment like that, I think we do really well to remember that our words are like sheep. The more of them they are, the more likely it is for one of them to go astray. I say this all the time. I would never get in trouble if I just stick to my script. <laughs> if I go off my script, I get in trouble. It, it's the same thing. In a noisy environment where words abound, foolishness abound, we need to remember, wait a minute, the more I say here, the more likely I am to come become unstuck. So when tempted to speak, Proverbs actually is pretty unequivocal in telling us what to do. Right? Now, I know what we'd like to do with this thing. We'd like to take a piece of this and put it over the fool's mouth. Right? We'd like to tell him, just be quiet. But it actually is not telling us to put this over the fool's mouth. It's actually telling us to do it over ours. I can't say that. Okay. <laughs> Some of you say, good. <laughs> no. This isn't an option, right? Th that isn't an option. So if you find yourself in environments, whether that is at work, with family, with extended family, with friends, you're in college, where you're just listening to nonsense after nonsense after nonsense, what do you do? You can't do this. And you're just a person who cares deeply. You're a person who's passionate. You're a person who's determined to defend the truth. But defending the truth doesn't give you the right to open the mouth all of the time. And just because judgment is coming at the end of the day doesn't mean to say that you have to open your mouth today. So if this is not an option, what do we do? Because quite clearly we need to do something. Vipka and I have been doing a devotional together, and there was one passage in there that really struck me. It basically talked about the indivisible union that there is between a husband and a wife, that when you stand in front of a congregation and before God and you, you commit your vows, there is that time, right, where the pastor would basically say, and what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so as an expression of that, what we did is we just took two pieces of tape, two different color pieces of tape. We just kind of taped them together and carried this with me in my pocket. Whenever I go in my pocket for my keys, I just touch the tape and I remember the indivisible union that exists between my wife and I because we covenanted to one another before God. When I touch the tape, I just shoot up that prayer and I say, God, thank you for my wife, whatever she's doing right now, bless her. Indivisible union. I touch the tape. See, there's something about touching the tape. There's something about doing something that helps me remember what's important. Now, we can't use duct tape, right, to put it, uh, put it over our mouth. But maybe what we can do is take a piece of tape, 
since silence is golden, and actually put it in our pocket. And the next time we get into an environment where there's so much noise and we're tempted to say something, before we say something, we just put our hands in the pocket and we touch the tape. And in that moment, we remember, God, I need to respond wisely here because wisdom is often foolish where there are many words. The minute we start to do that, we start to do two things according to the scriptures. Firstly, we refuse when we do this to contribute to the noise. Friends, we do not need Christians to contribute to more to the noise that is already engulfing our nation. We don't need it. Some of us need to realize what Job 13 says. If only you would be altogether silent for you, that would be wisdom. For you to say nothing at all for the next week is probably the wisest contribution you can make to your relationships. Because you've said so much that you've set so many people back. When you're tempted to say something, touch the tape. Touch the tape. Secondly, the minute we start to do this, we start to embrace the power of silence. What is the power of silence in a context like this? I think Ecclesiastes 5 is a brilliant example of this. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. Now, some people can look at this and say, I was talking about prayer. But no, you've got to realize Ecclesiastes is talking about all of life being done in the presence of a God whose ways are sometimes mysterious and whose ways we cannot understand. It's talking about God overseeing the believer's life in every detail. Okay, do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God, because everything we utter is done in the presence of God himself. To repeat that, God is in heaven, you are on earth, so let your words be few. But this is the power of silence right here. Look at it. A dream comes when there are many cares. Switch. This is the power of silence. It enables the switch to go off in our brain. The minute we touch the tape, we realize that, wait a minute, wisdom is not simply found in me pointing out the truth. Wisdom is found in me caring enough for the person who's speaking foolishness to shoot a prayer up to God on their behalf because many words mark the speech of a fool. Listen, do, we know, do you know that what is knowledge to you, even second nature to you, is wisdom that requires revelation to a person who's never experienced the truth of Christ? Do you remember the moment where you understood Christ for who he was? That's what it's going to take for a fool to be able to embrace the wisdom. What is knowledge for you is wisdom for someone else. And wisdom is not taught. Wisdom is caught Wisdom is the product of a supernatural work of God in someone's life. And perhaps the wisest thing that we can do in a noisy world is not to contribute to silence. And when we feel tempted, touch the tape and instead offer up a prayer to God because in caring prayer, God starts to work in people's hearts. I think the reason so many of us get sucked into conversations that are unwise is because our default response to noise is to try and silence it when sometimes the wisest thing to do is to let it peter out. 
The second part of this we've seen, uh, you can see it there, is the reason we get embroiled in some of these conversations is silence is challenging. And this is where it gets personal, right? So Craig, instead of speaking, I'm going to kind of touch the tape. In that moment, I'm going to realize the power of not contributing to the noise. I'm going to embrace the spiritual significance of praying for the people uh, that are right in front of me. Um, the minute we start to do that and embrace silence, things are going to start to happen in our own lives because silence is challenging. Silence is challenging. A few months ago, was it last year, nearly a year now, Vipka and I moved from where we were three or four miles uh, to Cobblestone neighborhood uh, across the street. And one of the reasons we did that was we couldn't believe how much time we were actually spending commuting. Now, our kids go to Holland Christian. But we, we couldn't believe the little four miles that we were doing, we spent so much time in the car. Apart from the fact that I had so much grass that it took me hours to actually cut every week. <laughs> if you drive around Cobblestone, there's not much grass. Six minutes, 15 seconds. That's how long it took me to cut my grass first time. <laughs> but we just wanted to embrace the simplicity. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to walk to work. Vic was like, yeah, I believe that when I see it. But actually, I walked to work. I, I walked to church. Some of you know that because you honk at me when I'm walking along the road. Now, I don't know if it's like a nice honk. I think it's a nice honk. And I just wave because I don't know who you are because you're going past me. But when I used to do this, what I used to do, I used to think, okay, there's a new worship album I need to listen to, you know, keep up with the music or that kind of thing. Don't listen to secular music. I just listen to, uh, to uh, Christian music or there's a new book that I'm reading, an audio book or something. So I put my AirPods in and I basically walk to church and listen. And then God started to show me how much noise there was in my life simply because I chose to put it there. In the car, what would I do? Put on sports radio. Right? What would I do? Put on music at home, play music through Alexa. So much noise. And it was in my life because I intentionally chose to put it there. And when God started to open my eyes to this, I started to use even the 0.62 miles it takes from my house to get onto this stage intentionally to embrace the silence. I took the AirPods out and I just walk. It's just me with my thoughts and God. It doesn't take long. And so as I've been doing this, God started to do something in me. And as I've been doing this, I've noticed the effect that silence has on me. Silence has the effect of actually making me confront who I really am. Now, there's a part of that that was troubling. It made me realize something. A number of years ago, again, Vipka and I were in Germany and I uh, wanted to study. We wanted to pay for the study in cash, so I got a job in a German bank able to do that. My father-in-law was like, uh, my father -in -law was like director of a number of banks, and he said, hey, Craig, go to this little village in Germany and you'll start to work. I thought I'd be in a filing room. I was actually on a cash desk talking to customers, people, and I could not speak German. The logic is insane. I would come home some of the times and it was like purgatory. I would be so brain dead trying to do this job. But anyway, I managed to do it. And shortly after, shortly before I was due to leave to go back to study, uh, our bank was robbed and it was my cash desk that was robbed. Now I thought I'm a guy, hey, I'm fine. You know, all of the ladies in the bank and the cash desk, they're the ones that had the time off, but Craig turned up for work next day just to cover it. I'm a guy, I got this. Everything was fine until I would go out at night and it wasn't the dark that bothered me. 
it would be waiting for Vipka to finish work or something like this, and then she would, uh, there would just be silence. And in that silence, it freaked me. The silence was challenging because it took me back to something that had happened. You see, in one way or another, when you embrace silence, something starts to happen. This is true in the scriptures as well. Just a few examples of this. In the scriptures, when you see people embracing silence, what happens is their patience is actually being tested. When you embrace silence, you start to think, how long? Right? Secondly, when you embrace silence, the problem is your sin is exposed. You start to realize who you really are. Now, the good thing of this is, if you have a Bible, when you realize what you're not, you're thankful for what? Who God is. And when you realize who God is, you realize what he's done. And suddenly you start to embrace what you're not good at because you realize that God's got you covered. But in the beginning of this, it's actually really challenging because you just realize that you have issues. That's what I did. My sin was exposed. And the other part that's challenging with this is our faith is examined. I mean, is it any wonder that we struggle to embrace the silence when this is what goes on when we do? In Habakkuk 2.10, at least mentioned these earlier on, we're silent because we perceive the glory of God. In Revelation 8.1, we're silent because the work of God is overwhelming. You see, when we embrace silence, all of these things start to happen, and then all of a sudden, the glory of God starts to be revealed, the work of God starts to be perceived, and all of this starts to get overwhelming. And what's happening is, your relationship with God is growing more dynamic. This is what silence does. In Joshua 6.10, we're silent because God is about to act. You realize that God is about to do something. In Ezekiel 16, 63, Mark 9, 34, we're silenced because we're filled with shame because in a certain moment, our, our failures have been exposed, but then we're silent when we realize the extent that God has gone through to redeem us. You see, in Scripture, silence signifies that a person has experienced or desires to experience the overwhelming, overpowering, and astounding presence of God. The question is, do you? Do you? The reason we get drawn into conversations that it would be wiser to refrain from is because some of us haven't experienced the power of silence in our own personal devotion to God. And see, if we put the silence back into our devotion, there may be a silence in a conversation isn't going to be as troubling. It's going to be more natural. And the great thing is when we put that silence into practice, God starts to work in us. God starts to change us. God starts to challenge us. God starts to make it possible for us to want to correct a person who's speaking nonsense, not simply because we want to win an argument, but because we deeply care for where this person spends eternity. The power of silence. All of that, I think, leads to this third component that we really need to embrace. And that's this. I think the reason why some of us get sucked into conversations that we'd be wiser to abstain from is because we live in a day when wisdom is absent. Wisdom is absent. And by saying wisdom is absent, I'm sharing something that I hope we're all in a position to acknowledge to be true. America is sliding more and more into secularism where the historic truths of the gospel that laid the foundation for this nation are increasingly opposed, reviled, and attacked. That basically means that what some people see as progress 
we see is regression. Now, the encouragement in this for us is while this may be new experience for many of you and deeply troubling, it is not new to the Christian faith. This has been going on from the very beginning. And so if we want to move forward as a church in the nation, maybe we need to look back. This has been going from the beginning. I want to to draw your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is the, the passage that Paul wrote to the church that was planted because he didn't quit when it was tough. He didn't stay silent when he needed to speak out. And it's amazing that he starts this chapter talking about wisdom. So have a look at this with me. This is what Paul wrote. And then I want to draw the application as we close. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the wisdom that the fool has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. This is kind of like today. You don't think he was popular to believe in a crucified Messiah when Paul lived, do you? He was ridiculed for it. For Jews demand a sign, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. We see that in Acts 18, 3 and 4. Folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul came to a point where he recognized that he was ministering at an age where his message would be opposed and reviled. But what we see in Corinth, we see in Ephesus, we see it in a number of different places, is that Paul recognized a powerful truth. Paul recognized that where wisdom was absent, the wise are present. Please look at that and think about it for a moment. If you read how the church in Corinth was started, Paul went there, stayed with someone he knew, started to work. Before he ever preached a sermon, he chose to be present. Do you realize that Jesus lived for 30 years before he assumed his ministry? See, before Jesus was a witness to the new thing that God was doing, he demonstrated God's witness with the people. Paul demonstrated his witness with the Corinthians. He stayed there for 18 months. Where wisdom is absent, the people of God have always been present. And whether we like it or not, if a nation drifts more secular, the reality is we are going to need to earn the right to be heard in some places. Simply because the truth that we hold as being the foundation of the nation no longer gives us the right to speak. What opens the door for our speech to be heard is not our powerful presentation, but our presence. 
I love the fact that so many of the people I know are starting to embrace this value to the point where they are being intentional about every minute detail that they do in their life. Do you know, if this is true, that where a nation goes liberal, we lose the right to be automatically heard, if it is true that we need to be present in order to ever be able to present and if we're serious about the truth that the good news has to be shared, then we have to live intentionally with what we do each and every day. And I love the way people are doing this. Some people who have a heart for the international community are going to some of the largest stores and they are spending quite a bit of time around the international food section. They'll go there the same place at the same time so they meet the same people over and over again and after a little while, a conversation develops. They all need to go shopping, but they're going to go shopping at the same place at the same time because most of us are creatures of habit. If this is true, that the wiser present where wisdom is absent... How do we live intentionally? Think about the things you do each and every day, the people you meet over and over again, and I encourage you this week to start to think about how you can be more intentional in those places. Kelly Green, the former pastor on staff here, I've known Kelly for 25, 26 years, met him in Hamburg. He is probably one of the best people I know at doing this. Kelly's an evangelist uh, by profession, and so his disposition is what? To share the gospel. And when he realized that he now lived in an age where he needed to earn the right to be heard, he started to intentionally consider how he could put presence in his life before he was ever able to present. And so one of the things Kelly likes is Kelly likes coffee. Does he like coffee? So wherever he goes, he chooses a, a coffee shop to go to, and he goes to the same coffee shop, as many times in the week as he can, usually five unless he was traveling, and he would go there at the same time and he would sit in the same place. He would become a regular. One coffee shop he did this with uh, in was Tampa, and I remember him sh telling me the story. And Kelly's okay with me sharing this story with you. Kelly went into this one coffee shop in the place where he lived, and uh, he... Kelly's the most generous, you know, talkative person you know. He quickly got to, to know the people in the store, and it kind of gets to, what do you do? And Kelly told him the pastor, and he said, their face just dropped. The manager was staunchly anti-Christian, and the assistant manager was basically a staunch atheist. Kelly said, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Naturally, Kelly would go in, he would greet them, and for a little while it was just like, but, you know, some of the greatest weapons God has given us when it comes to difficult environments like that is a smile and silence. So Kelly would smile, make sure he didn't get into any trouble, and he would actually be silent, making sure that he didn't cause it. So he just was present over and over again. And slowly, over time, they started to realize, okay, this guy may be a bit old and a bit, yeah, eccentric, but he, he basically seems to be okay. And, and so one time getting close to Christmas, Kelly realized this particular coffee chain actually did loud kind of local expressions of charitable stuff where it was kind of politically expedient. And so he said to the manager, hey, why, why don't, um, what, what do you think about you and I kind of teaming up and 
doing something for a migrant family uh, in the neighborhood, uh, maybe a migrant family that uh, immigrant, right, and that's what they called them back then, uh, immigrant family who can't spend Christmas, would that be good? And they were like, yeah, that'd be awesome, but how would we find that? He says, leave it to me. So he went to a doctor friend of his and asked the doctor friend, and the doctor friend told him about uh, an immigrant family who had uh, two little girls, the little girls were deaf, and the mum and dad had abandoned the girls, and the grandparents had taken them in. The grandparents had health issues. They worked in the fields, basically, plucking the, you know, plucking the fruit to get by, and it was a desperate situation. There was no chance of them having anything to do with Christmas. So the next time these, uh, the doctor was seeing this family out of compassion, he was a Christian, etc. So the next time the family came in, the doctor asked, would they be willing to, uh, to just receive uh, some Christmas gifts? The grandparents were overjoyed. They said yes. So Kelly went back to the store and he told them, and there were about 20 staff in the store, and uh, each of them gave $10, which 200 bucks. Uh, Kelly matched there for 400. But the staff members also decided to put a little box in the, st- uh, you know, a little box in the store with a description for anybody who wanted to bring in gifts, and the gifts piled up. Just before Christmas, it was time for the family to come into the store. The store was closed. It was just all the staff and Kelly. And Kelly brought the family in. And he said, Craig, in that place, we had a moment. In, in that place, there was no division between me and the people who were against what I stood for. All of a sudden, there was a connection. Now, there's a lot more to the story in terms of what happened with the family and everything else. That's just a real blessing. But the key thing is this. All of a sudden, some people in that store started to share with Kelly about their personal problems. You see, Kelly recognized that he would never be able to present until he was truly present. And so he intentionally chose to go to the same place to see the same people over and over and over again. He waited his time and he showed he cared Ecclesiastes 5, and then when the moment was right, he partnered with them and it brought down the walls. Friends, if this is the way the nation goes, this is the way the Christians live wisely. We may not like this, but it's sadly true. In history, in the Western church, whenever a country has gone liberal, whenever a country has gone left, The church has gone right. And the problem with this is the gap between the left and the right where the Christians think that their responsibility is to speak at every opportunity. The problem with this is the people who get lost are the ones that are in the middle. Central has Wesleyan foundations. That basically means that we try and emulate the wisdom of John Wesley. John Wesley was an Anglican priest in the time of England when the English nation was basically going left. It was going liberal, many parts of the church with it. Wesley looked, look at this for yourself, at the church that went increasingly more reformed. You see, when the country goes liberal, the church goes reformed. Started to see this even here amongst Baptist churches in the USA uh, over the last decade. So what did Wesley do? Wesley looked at this and said, wait a minute, the gap between the country and the citizens of the country and the church is so big, somebody needs to do something about it. So Wesley developed methods 
methods of reaching people with the truth of Jesus Christ to bridge the gap between a left country and a right church. Friends, if it is true that America is sliding away from our foundations, we have to be wise with what we say and when we say it. More than that, we have to be wise in the way that we put intentionality into the way we live each and every day. See, it's not always right to speak the truth. Sometimes we touch the tape. Because truth to us is wisdom to someone else. And that requires discernment. It can't be taught. It's got to be caught through a supernatural work of God. And if we believe that, rather than speak, we'll touch the tape and we'll pray. God, what do you want me to do? Why do we do that? We do it because we care. You know, our goal in life is pretty simple. It's to basically magnify Christ. I'm going to call the team back up. They're going to sing a song for us. It's a beautiful song that talks about the power of magnifying Christ in us. When we embrace the silence, God starts to do a work in us. My first challenge for you, in your quiet teams, put in a time of silence. Embrace the silence. Secondly, if you struggle to hold your tongue, get some duct tape, resist the urge to actually put it over someone else's mouth, put it in your pocket. And the next time you're tempted to speak before you've asked God what to say, or even if to say, touch the tape. Remember Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Be careful about the words we utter in the presence of God. And because we care, let's pray. And I believe as we start to do this, Christ will not only be magnified in us, Christ will start to be magnified through us. And through our presence with people, we will earn the right to present the truth to people. In that moment, I believe that what is knowledge to us will become wisdom to them because we will have bathed our lives intentionally in prayer because we care. Do you care? Do you truly care for where this nation is going? If you do, remember, silence is golden, duct tape is silver. Embrace the silence. Let's go to God in prayer, shall we? Father, in this moment of silence, consecrate ourselves to you. And as we sing this song, Christ be magnified in me, our prayer is that you would work in us to make us more like Jesus, who looked at the needs and the desperation of the people he lived around and was willing to embrace the cross to redeem it. Father, may we love that much. May we love so much that rather than speak, we would obey the Spirit and sometimes be silent. And in that moment of silence, Father, may we just look up to you. And may you speak to us so that Christ would be magnified, not simply in us, but through us in the way we respond. God, we do love you. We just thank you that 
you have done so much for us. We thank you that Christ went to the cross for us. That he died, was buried, and rose again. And we thank you today, Father, that because he rose, he ascended. And because he ascended, the Spirit of God came down and now fills all who are yours. And Father, we pray that this same Spirit would seal the words that you've spoken to our heart about our response in those places that are noisy, with those people, Father, that we meet each and every day. May we, Father, receive an anointing to care for them in the way that you do. So Christ, we pray, be magnified in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing this song, shall we? Just as an act of commitment, Christ be magnified.